He's so successful by even American standards. He's so successful of a business person, but yet he's got this vibe where like, if you took it all away, you knew you'd, he'd be fine. And there's something about that where I was like, I don't get, how are you both? How are you that driven, but totally cool if like it didn't exist? And I know that that's true about him. And so I went looking for answers. Um, and he was able to tie together and connect so many dots. And because I just have this direct access, you know, we would sit in this shop for hours and hours and just I would just ask him everything. And so I started to connect dots. And the dots, as they connected, I translated them into my Western mind. You know, I've got this Eastern side, but I've also got this Western side, right? And I live in the Western world and was born and raised here in America. So like, I needed to translate it into my way. And eventually that translation of lessons turned into what is in the book Bling. Bling is a story, it's a parable, but the main guide in that book is my uncle. He's the only person whose character's name wasn't changed. Everybody else is influenced by other people, but his, that his character, Goodo, is, is that's my actual uncle. Um, and that's what we call him. And so he was very influential in helping me piece together, how can I stay super ambitious and fierce even? You know, my, my level of ambition isn't tame. It's not, it can also almost be like a monster in some regards, right? Where the ego can can start to really have a playing ground. And that's a terrible thing for me. I, I know when my ego comes out, uh, at least I now know better today. I don't think I had that level of awareness uh, earlier in my career. But now, because I've, I think through learning these lessons that I've codified, if you will, in, in the book and in the album, combined with meditation, like I'm more aware. Um, but I have that level of intensity, that fierceness around playing this game of business. At the same time, I don't want to suffer for it. And that's what I couldn't figure out before that my uncle helped me understand. And that's now the game I play is how can I stay that level of ambitious, that level of wanting to fulfill this potential without suffering along the way and feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't somewhere yet or I should be further along or you name the the talk tracks that people have that I've had myself. Um, I wanted to figure out how to do that. And now I'd say, I know it's possible. I know that duality can exist in harmony. And I just didn't know that was a thing. And now that I know it's a thing, I also know the steps I need to take. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey there, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Wild Zora. This company is owned by husband and wife duo Josh and Zora Tabin, and they are based up in Loveland. And I actually know Josh and Zora personally, and I had the opportunity to tour their facility a few weeks ago. This is such a cool company, and I happened to get hooked on their products well before I actually met the owners. Um, Their ingredients are all natural and amazing. They source everything locally, organically, sustainably grown, and then they package and produce it all there in their facility in Loveland, and they both live in Fort Collins. 
They've got these great meat and veggie bars, which contain grass-fed organic beef or uh, other meat products, as well as a full serving of fresh vegetables, organic vegetables. Um, The newest product that they just launched, which I'm really fired up about, is their basically just add hot water oatmeal bags. They're perfect for camping, but frankly, they're also just perfect for taking with you to the office and when you're on the go because the bags are meant to hold the hot water. So all you have to do is add some boiling water to the container and you can eat this amazing oatmeal right out of there. It's got dehydrated nuts and berries and coconut and all kinds of good fats and nutrients. It's really amazing food that, quite frankly, fills the gap for many of us when we're trying to eat healthy, good foods when we're on the go. So Wild Zora's website is wildzora.com, and they are offering our listeners a 20% discount on your order using the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, at checkout. You can also just click their logo at the bottom of our website, and it will take you straight to a page. But make sure to use that code at checkout. I just want to give one pitch to the... um, specific breakfast cereal that I'm really obsessed with right now. It's called the Palisade Pineapple Mango. They call it a paleo meal to go, and it does contain 10 grams of protein. By the way, for those of you who are anti-gluten, it does not contain any gluten, no grain, no milk, and no added sugar. So when you see these products, you will be a true believer and a true fan just like I am. They also have a butte cocoa banana oatmeal cereal as well as a cliffside coconut berry cereal it's really incredible stuff and having seen their facility and seen exactly how this stuff is made it's fantastic so check out wildzora at wildzora.com use the code hotman at checkout save yourself some money give these products a shot and fuel yourself for maximum enthusiasm and full optimization when you are out on the go in your busy life Hey friends, welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. This episode is finding us towards the end of July, and while I thought we had found sort of a new normal there in the midsummer, with the increase in COVID cases, things are going back to being far more strict, and I'm not sure where you live, but here in Colorado, we now have a mandatory order in place statewide that we have to wear a mask anytime we're indoors, and I'm Noticing a lot of people are also adhering to that when they are outdoors on um, running trails and bike trails and such. So you can definitely feel that people are um, hunkering back down a bit and um, taking this far more seriously, I think, than perhaps they were in months past. So um, the upside is that it's still in the middle of the summer, and this is hands down my favorite time of the year, and I'm just loving the warm temperatures, the long hours the outside recreation opportunities and possibilities, which are limitless and endless here in Colorado. I um, signed up for the Leadville 200,000 foot elevation challenge back in June, which means I committed to trying to ride 100,000 feet of elevation gain and also run 100,000 feet of elevation gain. And while I am nearly there on the riding goal, I have only accomplished about 8% of the running goal And to be completely candid, I almost changed my registration I had until July 18th to change and I would have just bailed on the run and focused just on the bike part, which is going to be easy to get it done. And I'm 
actually kind of proud of myself that I decided to just stay with the event that I signed up for, even if it means that I don't finish it and I don't get the accomplishment of uh, obtaining the 200,000 feet. I decided that the challenge itself has been what really has given me some motivation and some uh, structure in my training and that it wasn't as much about the finishing or the doing. And um, so I'm very much enjoying that challenge. It's giving me something to shoot for. I would have to run and hike uphill a lot to get this accomplished in the next month. And also I'm still open to the possibility that that may happen. So we shall see. Uh, it's, it's just really fun to have something to work towards with so many races and events being canceled. Um, just having some reason to go out and ride and run in addition to the obvious sheer joy and pleasure that the acts of doing those things bring me. Um, so what's on my mind lately? Well, I run a women's mastermind and uh, this month, the homework that I gave our group has to do with the people in our lives and really asking the members of the group to assess who the five people are that they spend the most time with. To quote Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I've been giving this a lot of thought to just the five people in my life that get my the most time and attention from me and whether um, they're people that I aspire to be more like or whether they're people that are um, energy vampires or a little bit of both. And um, in so doing and creating the homework for the group, I stumbled on a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And he cites a statistic where he says, according to research by social social psychologist, Dr. David McClelland of Harvard, the people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life, which is quite significant. I think we can all recall our parents telling us to choose our friends wisely as we were growing up. Obviously, that still holds true for us in adulthood as well. Um, I also like something else that he says. I don't know about you if you've ever taken advice from someone that knows less about something than you do. But he recommends that we seek out positive people who have achieved the success that we want to create in our own life. Remember the adage, never ask advice of someone with whom you wouldn't want to trade places. And that one has also really resonated and landed with me um, as, I, as I look closely at the circles of amazing friends that I have and the people in my life and um, evaluate some uh, relationships that have just actually come to conclusion in, in recent days and weeks and perhaps why those relationships weren't good for me or weren't meant to be in my life. Um, so that's been a really um, interesting, curious sort of self-study in this mid-summer space that I'm in. So I would challenge you to take stock of the people that get your time and energy and assess if you want to be the average of those five people. Uh, with that, I'm just going to totally transition in a very non-logical um, way, which is to say that the guest of today's episode, my friend Andy Seth, fellow entrepreneur, total rock star. I've met him through Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, a group I've belonged to here in Colorado since 2015. Um, by the way, if you own a business and you are an entrepreneur, I highly recommend that you check out EO Accelerator. I was a member of that program for three years and then graduated into EO um, a couple years ago. It is an absolutely amazing organization of people with um, incredible stories and backgrounds, and it's really, really fun to be surrounded by other business owners, people tackling the same challenges in very different industries and fields. And um, the organization has especially provided a ton of support and community during COVID when um, this crazy virus has attacked small businesses in in 
strange and unpredictable ways. And um, as Andy alludes to in his episode, you know, some of us are very lucky that our industries have not been negatively affected by COVID. And, and in fact, some of us have been in industries that are benefiting from these new and crazy times. Um, but here's the thing about Andy. He is just a total dynamo. And he wrote this book in five or seven days, I think it's called Bling. He also then produced a album with songs that correlate to the chapters of the book. The songs are fantastic. You can find him on Spotify at A-Love, A-Love. Uh, you can find his book Bling by Andy Seth anywhere that you buy your books. Um, also check him out on andyseth.com. We talk a little bit about his history. I learned some very new things about him that I did not know. Uh, he's an incredible person just to listen to, as you'll hear in his speech patterns and the way that he explains things. He's a wonderful storyteller. And I knew that I would leave the interview energized, and I did. And I'm just so thankful for people like Andy. He's one of those that I wish I could spend more time with and have be one of my top five for sure, because I always learn something new from him. And I always leave really inspired and just um, really energized. And he and I are very similar in many ways. We're very type A. We're very um, wired for achievement and doing and the part of the interview that resonated most with me is something I've been talking about a lot on recent episode introductions, which is simply the space of surrender that I've been in this year and particularly since COVID um, kicked off. And really hearing him say that you can be both in the space of being fierce and being driven and also being in the space of um, the duality of surrender and letting it be and acknowledging that things are also out of our control, um, which I just. I just love that. And I read a page from his book that really just nailed that concept um, on page 181, where uh, he says, don't you feel like all these things happen because you hustle? I feel like I've worked my tail off to get where I am. And if I had just surrendered, I might not have achieved as much. So we talk about that. And I really, um, I'm so excited to bring this episode to you and I look forward to hearing what you think. Please comment on Instagram or comment on the website comment section, uh, shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks as always for following along. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hard to believe that we are into the fifties now in terms of episodes. I look forward to continuing to bring great content, great conversation here and uh, really appreciate your feedback. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that your day and your week and your month are full of maximum enthusiasm and perhaps a little extra surrender in this current space and owning what you can control and letting go of what you can't. Much love, my friends. Take care. While you're saying this, okay, go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's probably other little things that are like cool. Um, I did a, I produced music for a Pepsi ad. Um, so like that was kind of a random opportunity that got created through all this, but no, I think, and then business wise, um, which isn't necessarily related to the book, but I certainly used the book to help me with it. Um, we doubled the over doubled the firm's revenues in like annual revenues in Q2. So oh we're kind of God. on a hot spree right now and hopefully, hopefully it lasts, but you know, like, uh, we're, we're crushing there too. So that that's something that I'd like to be able to talk about too. But other Heck than that, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we should just dig in there. Well, and first, as by way of intro, I'm so thankful and feeling super blessed to host my fellow entrepreneur and friend and just 
high vibe, high energy friend, Andy Seth. Man, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> I am so excited to have you here. I'm holding your book in my hand, Bling, by Andy Seth. The last time I feel like I saw you in person was at your book release, where you also dropped oh your amazing um, album. So to my knowledge, you are the only person to co-author a book and write a corresponding album where each song corresponds with a chapter. Is that true? The, this, that, was, that was true when I was doing it, but there has been one who has done it now. Okay. And, it's, and it's a good company, Logic. Logic okay. dropped a book and an album for his, uh, his book, Supermarket. Right on, so, so no big deal, just me started. and Logic. Yeah, just you and Logic. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you. That's you in a nutshell. Like everything you do, you do well and you do big and it's bold and audacious and contagious. I mean, I sense that this has been you your whole life. And yet to review some of the book, it sounds like maybe this is all somewhat also new to you. So What's been the trajectory of Andy Seth? The trajectory? Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people tend to find kind of the back, my backstory um, to be interesting because uh, it's, I think like everybody, obviously it makes up who you are and, and where you are at now. But um, for me, you know, I, I'm a, the son of two Indian immigrants um, and we, I grew up in a motel in LA and I grew up there from the age of zero to 14. It was uh, not a motel we owned, despite being Indian. Um, I used to front like we did, but we didn't. We didn't. Know. We just you were just staying there. We just lived in it. Yeah. Okay. The idea actually was um, that we were supposed to live there for two years, ish, basically, and in exchange for taking care of the motel. And back then, taking care of the motel was very different than even motels today. Um, like my mom did the tenants' laundry. Oh wow. Uh, there were communal bathrooms, more like a dorm. The doors opened on the outside, not on the inside. If anyone's, if you know, you know. If you stay, if you ever stayed at a place where the doors were on the outside of the building, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, right, and um, rent was paid weekly, not okay. Not like a hotel, which obviously is a daily rate, and definitely not like a rental apartment, which is a monthly rate. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a different time, but it was a that was what I grew up in, and and without like diving into all the things that we saw, at least at this point, um, you know, there, I would say for most people's point of view, that would be probably a pretty rough, uh, it'd be a rough environment um, for a host of reasons. You know, the, the tenants were mostly transient. Most people, okay. there was only a couple people that stayed for a long time. Um, one girl was a girl that went to my school. She, she and her family were there and uh, she got pregnant um, when we were 12. And so oh, she, wow. was, she was there. Yeah. Uh, Crystal. And, um, and then there was this guy, this other guy named Joe McMahon, and he was a pretty long-term tenant, but everyone else for the most part was, you know, just a transient population. So it was supposed to be two years for us. Um, and uh, we, we were not there for two years. We were there for 14 until it was torn wow. down until this day, actually not, there's not many lots in LA that sit open, but this lot of land is in the middle of LA and is still is still open and there was oh, a interesting uh basically the landlord was was you know got it taken away because he was a slumlord and and uh was doing tax evasion and all kinds of stuff uh, and so i think it's just you know it's held up somehow um but anyway wow. that's where i grew up and that that's that's just the start that's just <laughs> we can the take start. this wherever you want 
Well, I mean, it's interesting because you said the comment, most people would think that that's a relatively rough way to grow up. And yet I sensed that the next thing you were going to say was that actually there were parts of it that you enjoyed or that were wonderful. So what was the upside to this upbringing? Yeah, um, that's a, that's, that was very intuitive. I, I say that because, well, for a long time, I was really embarrassed about living there. And so no one really knew. Even when I was growing up, I didn't have like friends come over. I mean, what, like, uh, <laughs> it'd be weird. Like, what was my dad going to do? Charge him rent? Like, <laughs> like there was no, the, the people didn't come over. And, and I, into adulthood, I, I never really talked about it because it was, like I said, embarrassing. And then when I started to share it, um, I mean, I sh was just tell people like matter of factly, uh, what I found was that like, there's just so many gifts from it that I just don't look back at it in, like in a, in a negative way. I think there were certainly things that were negative. I mean, there was, you know, um, I mean, we could dive into some of those stories, but, you know, like, uh, somebody tried to, like, basically burn our place down, and, and it was, oh, no. like, my mom caught the, um, the, the gasoline that was poured before it was lit. I mean, it was, like, oh it was, like really bad stuff, but, uh, but the gifts that came out of it were, I think, probably indicative of, of a lot of immigrant families, for sure, just because, you know, you're on, in a new country from, like, a parent standpoint. Um, and you're, as a kid, you're growing up without, I was growing up not without like the kind of guidance that maybe I can provide to my kids now. Um, and then, and so with that, there was a lot of freedom because there wasn't like anyone, my parents weren't able to tell me like, here's what you need to go do. They weren't prescriptive. And so as a result, I could actually kind of come up with things on my own and, and, you know, like an example would be as, since we're both entrepreneurs, my first business, if you will, like it was a non-tax-paying business, was at 10. <laughs> you know? My first tax-paying business was at 13. So I, w I went legit by the time I was 13. But wow. you know, I was 10, and, and that was the year after we declared bankruptcy. So not, not only were we living in the motel, but oh. we also went through a bankruptcy. Um, and so the year after that is when I first started my like, first hustle. And, uh, and you know, those are gifts because today still, like I feel like I've still got a lot of that rawness in me without the the shadow of it, you know, the shadow yep. of it is, could be a victim mentality. And I like, there's just, it's not, I'm not even close to being able to like, I would never accept that at all. And so I just look at it like, these are the gifts that I got, but I had to go through a process to kind of extract those gifts. It was natural that it, when it was occurring, but later in life, I had to look at it like, all right, so what are you going to take from this? Right. Well, and now you've got my interest peaked. What was the first business? <laughs> um, so uh, there was a, what I thought was a factory, but I think in hindsight, it was a commercial printer. Um, and they had a, a, there was a business basically near where I lived. And they had this chained up back area with their garage, with their garbage. There was their, their dumpster was back there. Um, and so I hopped the fence one day and just, I don't know, I was just dumpster diving. Dumpster diving is kind of interesting, like sidebar here, but um I'd seen my dad do it once and well, specifically we had a, a telephone with an answering machine. It was a Panasonic <laughs> with this answering machine. And I remember walking into the, our room and, and uh, the motel room and I was like, where do we get this? And mom was like, Oh, you know, dad got it. And I was like, I was like, there's no, like we didn't have any money for something like that extravagant. I was like, how did he get it? And she told me that he had actually found it in the dumpster. Oh, wow. And um, cleaned it up and, and it wasn't working, but took it back to a store that carried it and returned it. 
gotcha and, and exchange it and, and and like that sucks that's kind of a not very nice thing to do but um at the same time like it taught me huh like somebody's what's the expression somebody's trash is another man's treasure or something absolutely. like that absolutely yeah yep. um so for me going into a dumpster was like kind of gross but at the same time i was curious like i wasn't quite as scared of it as if i asked my little kids to go to the dumpster right now <laughs> right but, um so i hopped the fence and uh and inside there were sheets and sheets of printouts and i found these um oh wow these stickers and there were stickers of like skate and surf uh brands like tnc and barney stuff that oh, was yeah. cool yeah <laughs> stuff that was cool and um so I just, I went back, I took a backpack, I shoved a bunch of them in my bag. And uh, what I did was I cut out what was basically like the ones that looked messed up. You know, they were basically reject runs, right? Gotcha. And so they were, I cut out the ones that looked messed up. I cut up, I cut then the stickers that were good and, and kind of packed them up. And I would just sell them for a quarter a piece or five for a buck. And um, that was my hustle. So then at school, I started selling these and um like it, it kind of took off because there were stickers everywhere, right? It was like all over book covers and the lockers. Oh, yeah. Like stickers were a thing. They and, were. Um, so I had a couple other little <laughs> friends that were like, "Yo, hook me up," and I was like, "All right, we'll just put it with me." <laughs> That's <laughs> so, so good. Yeah, you know, Salesforce. <laughs> I love it. Back then, already building your team. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and. And I was like, all right, well, just split it with me. Here's the, you know, I had a zero cost basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I was like, "Yeah, you slang them, and I'll keep you. Give me fifty percent, and I'll take the other 50. So, um, my principal, Mister Takubo, uh, caught wind. <laughs> he shut the oh, operation down. But, did he? Oh, but not before I had enough money to buy a buy a bike. Um, and oh. there was this dude. There was this, this is like such such old stories, but it's fun to tell you about this. There was this dude in in our neighborhood. Um, his name was Dell. You ever hear of this old hip hop uh, artist named Dell the Funky Homo Sapien? No, but I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> so he wasn't Del the Funky Homo sapien, but his name was Del. So we used to call him Funky. And so okay. Funky came by one day um, around, right around this time and was like, yo, you want to buy this bike? And I was like, how much? He's like, 10 bucks. I was like, bet, I got 10 bucks. So I gave him 10 bucks. In hindsight, it was obviously stolen. I, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, know it was, I didn't know it was hot, but why would, Del, why would Funky have a, a bike for 10 bucks all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> But I took that bike and I was, I was 10 and I'd used the money. I mean, I had more money than 10 bucks, but I had used some of that sticker money, bought the bike. And there was this lady up on 243rd street, uh, up this big hill. And, and she used to have like outside of her garage, she would run the paper routes. So all the people would come that had paper routes, come over, do all the folding of papers, rubber band them, and then, you know, put them into the bag. And so I rolled up. And was like, hey, can I get a route? And she was like, well, you know, we could test you out and see how, if you can do it. So she gave me a test for, I think it was like a week. Um, and I was able to go create new starts. Starts mean like go door to door, see if people want to start getting ah. a newspaper. And the first month that you collect money um, was supposed to like go to the paper route folks. But I don't know. I think I honestly, I think either I pocketed 100% of it or some of it like, it was cash. Nobody knew. It wasn't like they had PayPal and Venmo. Right. Right. So like, and then, so I started, I had a couple starts and so she gave me a route. And so I had a, a paper route. And my mom used to help me on Wednesdays and Sundays. Um, Cause those were like really fat papers. Uh, and so that was like, you know, how I started kind of building up a little bit more. Um, and then by the time I was 13, I had enough money 
to buy records. This this uh, this record store had opened up in my neighborhood called Funky Town Records, unrelated to Funky. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Funky Town opened up. And so I had enough money to buy, start buying records. I, I would do turntable rentals. Uh, um, and that kind of like, there's a lot that went into that, but that, that's what launched the DJ career. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, the true start. Like uh, on LinkedIn, it would probably start with the DJ part of it. But you know, the, the true start that you're hearing is actually how I got started. <laughs> so good. And that's funny because that's a perfect segue to when I remember first meeting you and I'm sure we'd met just in passing prior, but it was at an EO entrepreneurs organization. And um, we're both members of this wonderful organization of entrepreneurs and we're up at devil's thumb ranch. And next thing I know, you are the DJ for the after hours event. And it was like, <laughs> oh my God, this guy is amazing. Like, <laughs> I want to be at every dance party ever that he is, he's playing music. At. So good. Thank you. <laughs> so good. Thank a bunch you. of entrepreneurs just getting there dance you know? on and you're just throwing down all these sweet jams from your <laughs> iPhone. And it was so good. Yeah, that was, oh, I got to be around this guy more. He's that was fun. You know, I just got a set of turntables again. It's, it's been, uh, I retired, uh, when I was 22 and I, I sold my decks. I sold, unfortunately I sold all my crates of record, but one. Oh. can you imagine having those right now? Oh. Oh. You must've been really done with it. If that was your headspace. Um, you know, actually I, I w it wasn't negative. I actually couldn't see a future. In it. I couldn't see a future in it. I didn't know there was going to be like the likes of Tiesto. You know, like <laughs> yes, true, true. You know, I, I was like, well, look, I'm headlining six nights. I was a freshman in college, headlining six nights a week, doing promotions. Holy so moly. I was getting a cut of the door of the bar. Like I was, I had mixtapes that I was selling. Like I was doing everything in my view that I knew to do as a DJ. I didn't have any other view other than that. And that, that is such an amazing life lesson because how much do we just get limited by our, our exposure? This is the, the, the vision I have because that's as far as I can see, but then somebody else might have this expertise that they could say like, oh, what? Wait, wait a minute. You know how to do business, nightclub, promotions, like tapes and teaching? Like, wait a minute, dude. Like this whole digital thing, because that's when Napster was pretty much coming out. This whole digital thing, like that's going to change up and we're already changing how we're doing stuff. Like stick around and like start to look at how to do it this way. You know, like DJ Jazzy Jeff is one of my favorite DJs. If you don't listen to Jeff right now, I definitely encourage you to like go on, on Instagram and follow him. Okay. Um, but DJ Jazzy Jeff is, you know, one of the most famous DJ names of all time. Yeah, yeah, but he's been he's, around a while. Right? He still rocks. And what he did was he took all the stuff we learned on vinyl and just completely upped his game on digital. I just never knew and, and then never had the vision personally that it would go that way. Had I, maybe things would have been different. Who knows? But, you know, I just, that's such a great lesson of, if you don't have exposure or a vision beyond what you know, like you can't even dream bigger. And it's not that you have to dream bigger. You just, in this case, I just had to know it existed to, it wasn't a bigger dream. It would just have been a path. It was just like, sure. there was logic. I just could have gone that way. And I just didn't know, but hey, that's, that's kind of the, the beauty of surrounding yourself with people who like in our entrepreneurs organization group who are really, intelligent who have different viewpoints who have diversity of experiences thoughts backgrounds like 
that's the value is they might show you something that a world you didn't even know existed. And that that's what happened for me. I didn't know it existed for that matter. Like filing for taxes was a world I didn't know existed. I just thought like you made money by like figuring something out and people paid you for it, you know? And, and it wasn't until somebody told me like, Hey, you, you, you know, you got to actually like pay for, you got to pay taxes on this and you got to file like a, a real entity and like that company name you've got, like you should look at at least registering it locally for a trademark, et cetera. You know, all those things. I, I didn't know that was even a, a sport that we could play. Which leads to a really great question is how did Andy come, how did young Andy Seth come to understand and appreciate that he wanted to surround himself with those types of people? And what were the steps that you took? Um, to, I mean, you're, you're so young and you're so successful early on, but then you're realizing, I think that you're, you're limited by just the extent of your own mm-hmm. um, creativity. And yet then when you start surrounding yourself with others, these doors are opening. So what was that, you know, when did you start becoming part of these circles? Yeah, it was when I was 13, um, two things happened in parallel. I started DJing and that, that, uh, I was kind of taken under the wing of this guy named Caesar. He happened to be a famous DJ in LA on power one Oh six. I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that he was like down to help me out and take me on gigs. Um, and so Caesar kind of taught me the, the technical skills in, you could call it like an apprenticeship. Basically I had to carry all of his gear for the summer, but he taught me a bunch of stuff when we would throw down at like backyard boogies, like barbecues and occasionally take me to house parties and whatnot. But I was 13 learning from Caesar. So he kind of taught me a lot of the ropes that way. Um, but then uh, at the same time, I earned a full scholarship to a high school called Culver military Academy. This was really like the big ticket out. Um, Culver had a, you know, like, uh, like many private institutions, had a group of people that believed in a concept of me. They, they believed that if we gave a low-income youth who has proven to get good grades, meaning that's the, that's the, that's the um, signal for hard work at that age, right, uh, that if we gave them a shot, they might actually do something with it. And so I, my dad had gone looking for, like, the best high schools in the nation, and Culver Military was, was one of them. And so... Uh, I got accepted there, got a scholarship there and went. And that was where I was surrounded by folks whose parents at the time could afford $25,000 a year in tuition for high school. Wow. wow. Right. right. And so, and to this day, I mean, Culver's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's world renowned. I mean, like I went to a summer business camp that was sponsored by like my personal tuition was paid by Ross Perot. Wow. That's amazing. Right. And so like, that's where I started to learn. <laughs> There's just this whole other different kind of world. There's a different type of path, and I just didn't know it. And it wasn't – I didn't feel like, dang, how come I don't have this or I don't have this money? I never really actually felt like that. Maybe maybe for, like, spring breaks where kids would go to really cool places and I'd stay on campus or or for these short winter breaks where, like, parents would come up. And, you know, my parents never saw me – until I graduated, they never saw like me play sports or anything like that in high school. Uh, I think there were probably moments where I was like, Oh, I wish my parents could. But for the most part, I I was just like, Oh my God, I didn't even know this. You could do this. Like I remember when people would order things out of a catalog, I was like, you could, you could buy things that without (laughs) going to a store, you know, like just blew my mind. So there was just a whole world that opened up and the people that went there are household names. George Steinbrenner went there. 
you wow. know, Ward Lay from Lay's Potato Chips went there. Like, household names went there. And here I was having the opportunity. And when I graduated, I graduated at the top of my class academically. I graduated squadron commander, which is the second highest rank, but runs the cavalry. Um, and the cavalry was like the most prestigious. We ride in like presidential inaugurals. Oh I was a three-sport varsity athlete for four years. Like I had taken full advantage. And as a result, like so many people came to say like, you know, what can we do for you now? Because I was exactly what they invested in. Right. When they when they put scholarships together, this is exactly the story they want. And, and it tells you now why, like, I'm so passionate about the work that I've done to help low income kids go to college. Big time. It, I know it works. Talk about. Mm -hmm. Well, and maybe that's the perfect segue is having been the recipient of what you now do. I mean, this this is what lights your fire on a day to day basis with your agency and the work you do. So so let's talk about that. So you run an agency called Flow. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you describe what Flow does? So Flow, Flow is a uh, branding, content marketing, and customer service outsourcing business. Um, but when I founded it, I founded it because I had sold my wealth management business and felt like I needed to work on a social problem. And for years and years, I had been helping low-income kids go to college on scholarship through uh, two nonprofits. One is a, a school called KIPP Schools, K-I-P-P. I was the board chair for Colorado and for five, six years almost, um, and expanded that into multiple campuses throughout the, the state. And then also Minds Matter, um, where we have, I think, 16 chapters now nationwide, but I was the, uh, what we'd call executive director and then board chair there for um, what's been now 14 years, I believe. Wow. And so I've helped a lot of low-income kids go to college, uh, but, I, but there's more that we're not going to college. And the opportunities for them were so bad that I, I kept looking at it like, what are you going to do about this problem? Like, if I look at my giving as a portfolio, you know, what's, what's going to be part of my portfolio for the kids not going to college? Because it's not like they lack the aptitude or the ambition, maybe some, but th there's no difference in that population versus, you know, a higher income population. There's always going to be kids that have ambition and don't have ambition, regardless of whether they have money or not. Right. And, um, and I just wasn't doing anything. And I was like, you know, I really want to work on this problem. And I had uh, come up with this apprenticeship idea because I knew about it from Swiss banking. Swiss, the Swiss are amazing at their apprenticeships. And it has nothing to do with low-income youth, but it does have to do with youth. They, they have apprenticeships for 16-year-olds to go into banking. And it's all very organized, et cetera. And I was like, why don't we have that in, the, in America? You know, apprenticeships are like blue-collar jobs. But why don't we have these? I mean, Swiss banking is world famous. Right. I'm like, why don't we have apprenticeships like that? And so I just started looking at what uh, jobs are in the economy that were going unfilled. Colorado publishes a report called the Colorado Pipeline Report every year. And they say, here's the top jobs in our economy that are going unfilled. Here's what's required to get them. <laughs> and oh, wow. so it was like, I just looked at that and I was like, okay, number one, coders. Number two, tech salespeople. And then somewhere in top 10 was um, digital marketers. And I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what? Like, that's true. Like, a digital marketer, th there's jobs all over the place, but I never once looked at someone's degree very different than in wealth management or any, in, when I did supply chain or, or global negotiations for like Fortune 500 and my other companies. Like, of course, people looked at my pedigree, but in marketing, I never once looked at somebody's pedigree. So I thought, you know, I, could, I bet I could train low-income youth who are good writers how to do online marketing. And... They need a job, though, because apprenticeships require that they get paid. 
So how am I going to make money on this? And so I had to start coming up with the two trick pony. Like, all right, I've got the why. I want to create apprenticeships for low income youth. Now is the, how am I going to do that? How am I going to make money? And so there were a number of different ideas I had, but the one that I decided on that I knew this population could execute really well was a niche that I found around live chat. I knew that uh, through other experiences that if I taught them how to sell on live chat instead of being customer support on live chat, we would be tied to revenue. And if we could bring in revenue for clients, you always, you always stick around. It's when you're an operational expense that people will potentially cut you. But if you're sure. tied to their revenue, right? Like as long as you're delivering, they're going to keep you around. And I knew I could teach them how to do sales on chat. And so we launched as a live chat division, expanded that into live chat and then text. Then we took on full outsourcing of email, live chat and text, uh, no phones. And then we added content marketing and branding because that's what other clients were looking for. And so, oh. yeah, that's how the agency evolved. But the, the, the interesting thing is we started with why, like truly, but when you start with a why, I literally had no way of knowing how to make money. <laughs> I had to figure out how to make money off my why. But wouldn't you say for those listening that the why will always get you there? Yeah, I, I, I think like if you're, um, if you're either starting a business or you're trying to reinvent your why, I think that there's a good shortcut that I learned about that I would encourage people to look at. Um, it's called the nine whys. I don't even know if I've written an article on this, but if I haven't, I need to. But have you ever come across that, Megan? The nine whys? No. The nine whys was a tool introduced to me by another EOer um, out of LA named Jamie Doherty. And um, it's basically all the different reasons why you might have some purpose consolidated into nine statements. And I'm not going to pretend like it's 100% coverage of everyone's whys, but it's a really good representation. Let's say it's like 80 to 90% accurate, you know? Okay. And so what it does is it walks you through this exercise. If you Google nine whys, it walks you through an exercise of figuring out which of these nine is why you do what you do. And then it's interesting because you stack the eight others into uh, what you then do and then how you do it or how and what, whatever the order is. And so you actually pull three of the nine and you stack them to answer the why, what, how. And huh. uh, it's actually a nice shortcut to be able to get clarity where I found it very difficult to answer the why when I was like, what, what do I want to do next? You know, I've got money, I've got time. What do I want to do next? And it was really hard for me to answer. But when I asked the question, well, what problem do you want to solve? I knew immediately. Well, I was like, oh, well, I know the problem that I want to work on. And so that to me, like that nine whys was a, is a nice mechanism for somebody to be able to shortcut and find like, what is your why? And then I think things do lead from that, but I think it's important to have really good clarity on the why in a, in a way that leads to those results. I think sometimes people can get lost in that whole exploration and might come out with a, a too obscure of a why, sure. you know, like to make the world a better place. Like, mm -hmm. all right, cool. But like, now what? <laughs> Like that's the complicated part. And so getting it boiled down into statements that are more, I think, uh, grounded, but still let you dream is really useful as a tool. If it's only the dream, it's hard to go and implement. And if it's only tactical, it's probably not a big enough dream. Right. Great advice. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's for sure. super helpful.
And you just strike me as a guy who's always been driven by a why, and maybe it evolves and maybe the whys have been different throughout your life, but um, you've just always got such clear purpose. And I sense that in the last few years, and especially in the context of of going abroad and writing this book in what, five days you wrote it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like that was a different chapter of your life, right? Like something, something mm-hmm. happened, something magical there. There was a transition space in your life and now you're living this new purpose driven totally. life that's different than even Andy like two years ago. So yeah. So what happened and, and what do you want to drop on us right now? Like what is your current fixation, obsession, belief, foundation, where are you yeah. at right now? Yeah. Um, so what happened was after selling the last business, uh, that was just straight up the most amount of money I'd had. And, um, I, it was the first time where I didn't have like to have something lined up. I didn't have another business lined up and it was, uh, super cliche, but I fell into this mindset of, you know, uh, I don't really have like this, this new purpose lined up and people had told me, beware of it. You know, it, I had I had known about other people saying this, but I, I guess I kind of wanted to figure it out for myself. Like, ah, mm-hmm. that won't be me. Uh, but it, it was me because I think so much of my purpose is tied towards serving like my own self and the potential I know I have and to fulfill that potential. And that fulfillment of potential often involves business as well as helping others. And when I took away the business, there was a piece of me that I just wasn't fulfilling. You know, my, I wasn't fulfilling a part of my own potential. And so um, I, I wanted to go take the time. I, you know, I traveled around with my family uh, and whatnot. And then I went back to India um, to go talk to with my uncle and just kind of hang out with him. My uncle is a really successful businessman in, in India. And, and we're from the, a town called Rishikesh, which is the birthplace of yoga. Um, it's actually, if, you, if you're into like sp- spiritual you know, retreats and whatnot. Um, uh, our family now has like a, a retreat center out there. Um, oh, cool. It's where the Beatles went 50 years ago to when they went to seek enlightenment. They went to this little, little place called Rishikesh, which is at the base of the Himalayas where the Ganges River starts. And so I went to go see my uncle because he's so successful by even American standards. He's so successful of a business person, but yet he's got this vibe where like, if you took it all away, you knew you'd, he'd be fine. And there's something about that where I was like, I don't get, how are you both? How are you that driven, but totally cool if like it didn't exist? And I know that that's true about him. And so I went looking for answers. Um, and he was able to tie together and connect so many dots. And because I just have this direct access, you know, we would sit in this shop for hours and hours and just, I would just ask him everything. And so I started to connect dots. And the dots, as they connected, I translated them into my Western mind. You know, I've got this Eastern side, but I've also got this Western side, right? And I live in the Western world and was born and raised here in America. So, like, I needed to translate it into my way. And eventually that translation of lessons turned into what is in the book Bling. Bling is a story. It's a parable. But the main guide in that book is my uncle. He's the only person whose character's name wasn't changed. Everybody else is influenced by other people, but his, that his character, Goodo, is, is that's my actual uncle. Um, and mm. that's what we call him. And so he was very influential in helping me piece together, how can I stay super ambitious and fierce even? You know, my, my level of ambition isn't tame. It's not, 
No. It can also almost be like a monster in some regards, right? Where the ego can can start to really have a playing ground. And that's a terrible thing for me. I, I know when my ego comes out, uh, at least I now know better today. I don't think I had that level of awareness uh, earlier in my career. But now, because of, I think through learning these lessons that I've codified, if you will, in, in the book and in the album, combined with meditation, like I'm more aware. Um, but I have that level of intensity, that fierceness around playing this game of business. At the same time, I don't want to suffer for it. And that's what I couldn't figure out before that my uncle helped me understand. And that's now the game I play is how can I stay that level of ambitious, that level of wanting to fulfill this potential without suffering along the way and feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't somewhere yet or I should be further along or you name the the talk tracks that people have that I've had myself. Um, I wanted to figure out how to do that. And now I'd say, I know it's possible. I know that duality can exist in harmony. And I just didn't know that was a thing. And now that I know it's a thing, I also know the steps I need to take. That's why, that's why the book was so important. It wasn't just for other people to read. It was actually for me to make sure I understood by writing and that I could teach my kids. I've actually read the book mm -hmm. to my kids. Um, you were at the launch party, actually, and you mm -hmm. witnessed something pretty amazing with my daughter. Do you oh remember Oh, my gosh. That? And she referenced the lyrics of that song, My Heart Burst Wide Open. Right? And I think right. you're like watching your face when you realized how closely she had been paying attention because she's mm -hmm. not that old. What is she, four or five? Uh, six. Oh my gosh, that was mm -hmm. so priceless. Yeah, it was amazing. And so, and what happened just for, for those who are listening, I was talking about the difference between the ego and the soul. And because my album is track for track matches chapter for chapter, right? Each chapter influenced a track. I had the, the DJ, because we hosted this party in a nightclub, I had the DJ drop the song called Woke Soul. So if you go listen to my album uh, and look it up under my artist name, A-Love, A-L-U-V, and the album is Bling, um, he dropped Woke Soul, and my daughter came up, and she was, like, wanting to say something. And, you know, I'm on a stage, and there's somebody interviewing me, and I didn't know what she was going to say. I just pointed the mic at her face, and she said, what my dad's explaining is the difference between the ego and the soul and whatever she said from there, but it was amazing, um, right? I was I was blown away because that's that's how clear the message is. What one of the one of the like I guess greatest compliments that people give me on the reviews, and I read a, every review like on Amazon, is how simple and approachable the message is, um, because I think spirituality uh, and and self development tools and and books can be difficult to process sometimes because they're written in the language that isn't the everyday language and plain English. And if you understand that language, you can grasp the concepts. But when I wrote this, it was written in a way, both musically as well as liter literally, uh, that a six-year-old could process it. My four-year-old even knows all the lyrics. They know the lyrics to all the songs by heart. Amazing. And what's great about that is music is easier to recall. Right. Like if you think, you know, I know both of us vibe on hip hop, right? Like how yep. many hip hop lyrics do we know from however many decades ago? Way back. Right? It's like, still in the head. Yep. Could recite it word for word. Word for word. Now, if I was like, hey, here's a book that you read 20 years ago. Tell me a paragraph in it. No, nope. you couldn't do it. No, nope. well, maybe you could. I couldn't do it. <laughs> right. 
but we can recall lyrics. And that's because a lot more of our brain is being activated when we listen and we have repetition. So here's the great way to spread a message through music. And my little girl picked it up. So I, I just know these lessons are truth. They're not something that I've invented. I'll be the first to tell you, I, I didn't invent anything here. These are ancient Eastern wisdom. And I think, you know, Western too, but like a lot of this is born out of, out of the, the Eastern culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I just told it in a way that was more modern, you know, and it appeals to people who might want it in more simple language, down to earth, uh, a story format so that it's fun to read. It is a story about a rapper who goes on, you know, to India. And so it's got like some fun stuff there too. And so it's just meant to be that. It's not meant to be too taxing mentally to grasp the concepts. There are other great books that might advance one's understanding once you've grasped the concepts. But at the same time, simple language doesn't mean simple ideas, right? Simple language just means we were able to distill those thoughts, those complex thoughts into plain English, which takes, uh, either it takes a lot of time, or in my case, uh, tapping into what I, what I feel is like the, the super conscious, right? Into this universal energy source, which the, that message really flowed through me. I, I was just the mechanism to write it. You know, I was the right person to tell this story, but my, my fingers had on the, on the keyboard had to keep up with the message flowing through me. That's the truth of it. But, you know, if, if you were to sit down and try to intentionally write this, like you'd have to do revision after revision in order to make it this simple. And when I read, and I've read parts of it, I haven't read the book cover to cover yet, but I've read parts of it, which have really resonated mm -hmm. with me. And there was one line I wanted to read to you because it jumped off the page at me and I have been in a surrender state, especially since COVID began, just truly letting things be. And, and um, on page 181, it says, but don't you feel like all these things happen because you hustle? I feel like I've worked my tail off to get where I am. And if I had just surrendered, I might not have achieved as much. And to your point earlier, this duality, how are you now managing to both hustle and surrender? Because I feel like you are demonstrating it and embodying it and exemplifying it so well. Oh, man, first of all, just thank you for like picking up on that, um, oh. that you read that and that jumped out to you for, for your fans and listeners. This is what makes you amazing, like that oh. you would pick that up. No, that's like, that's just awesome. No one has ever pulled that out there uh, oh. and asked me about this. So thank you. Um, yeah. and, and to answer the question, what I learned from my uncle, <clears throat> what I'm teaching in this book, what I've even taught my own forum mates in, inside of EO is this. We know that we only can control certain variables, right? And then we don't control the outcome. We, we know that intellectually, but I don't think that we truly live to that. And what I mean is if you had a formula that said, a plus B plus C are variables you control equals X. A plus B plus C equals X. We act like we control X. We say, well, <laughs> if I do these three things, here's the expected outcome. That's a, I mean, that's all day long. Like think about it from a business standpoint. We do it all, literally all day long. <clears throat> but here's the truth of it. The formula is A plus B plus C, the things you control, plus G H K. <laughs> Right, which are out of our control equals Z. And so those three other variables might be 
microeconomic, macroeconomic, universal forces that we have no control over. And they're not going to equal X. If They're going to equal Z. But our job is to be relentless about what we control and to know that the outcome, we don't. That's what surrender the outcome means. It doesn't mean, well, just let me ride this wave of life and see where it takes me without any effort. And let me just enjoy, you know, GK, GHK uh, variables. No, no, that, that means A, B, and C, you've got to go and just absolutely own for yourself. And that takes a tremendous amount of discipline and channeling concentration of effort, right? That's why I write and talk so much about flow state because flow state is a high degree of concentrated concentration towards a particular goal. Even the meditation I teach is goal-oriented. One of the things I found about meditation that was so complicated was I could never go from a thousand thoughts to zero. I tried meditating for years and I couldn't get it to zero. And then my uncle introduced me to this other way of, of meditating that was a goal-based meditation. And um, I found that this is actually, there, it's taught by many people. I just hadn't been exposed to it. Um, and this goal-based meditation goes from a thousand to one thought. And all I needed was the one. One to zero was infinitely di more difficult, but a thousand to one I could handle. And sense. so like when I have the guided meditation that's like on my website for people to, to use and download, uh, it's free by the way. Um, that's what I'm teaching in there is what's this goal-based meditation because I could vibe on the goal. I just can't get to zero that easily. Now, after all that practice, now I can get into no thought, but what a, what a complete difference in mastery. Um, and so anyways, that's, that's when I talk about like surrender the outcome. It's just to know the fact. It's to know the fact that there are variables you control and to actually feel that. And that that's the difference. We intellectualize this and know it. Yeah, I know I don't control everything, but yet we still act and make plans as if we do. The real question is, can you do all the work not knowing the outcome and whatever does happen, you're cool with? That's the trick. Are you cool with whatever happens given what you did, right? That's the trick. If you, if you didn't put in your best effort and some outcome happened, Maybe it was due to you, but maybe it wasn't. How many, how many times have I been the beneficiary of good luck and fortune? Plenty. How many times have I been the, the beneficiary of hard work? Plenty, <laughs> right? Like they both exist. It's not either or. So that's what I mean by being able to surrender an outcome, but at the same time being so ambitious under what you control. Is that what you meant when you said your uncle has this vibe that if he took it all away, he'd be totally good? Yep. That, that was it. That's exactly the click. He, he just, that's exactly it. He's like, look, if somehow that got taken away, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe it's just some universe forces. Right now, COVID is, if there's not a more prime example totally. of universal forces at work, right? Like Totally. We, none of us did anything to quote unquote deserve this. Um, and, and for me, my business has doubled during COVID in annual revenues. We've over doubled. Have I deserved that? Well, I could say like, yeah, look at all these smart things I did. I did some smart things, but I also am in a business that benefited when people had to move more of their business online. Right. That's, that's right. good fortune. Right? right. And, and the reverse is true too. It's so that, yeah, for my uncle, 
he just has that. And he's, he's come from nothing. So he's also completely at peace with, yeah, I know what that's like. I'm not scared of it. I'm also not scared of, you know, being poor. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to make decisions that get there. I don't risk things to get there, but like financially poor is, I mean, it's actually not that big of a deal. I, I don't lose what I, what my capabilities are. Right. If I, if that's what happened, that's what happened. And I've had swings. It's not like I haven't had gone through major swings too. So like, yeah, that's what, that's what my uncle has. He just emanates that vibe. Hmm. I so appreciate this message at this particular point in time because I'm coming off of a period of time where people would have described me as intense and I'm starting to get a lot of feedback from people saying something in you has shifted, you're a lot more relaxed, you're a lot more Hmm. calm, you're a lot more compassionate. And it's what you said earlier, like I'm still fierce, the drive is still red hot. I'm just not forcing it. There's more surrender and less vigor. And I feel like that's where Mm -hmm. you've been too. And the things that are meant for us more easily and more readily find us in that space, don't they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let me, let me ask, I'm I'm curious, have you found something that's kind of come your way that you weren't actively working for? 100%, 100%. um, And it's the reason you and I had to reschedule our podcast and I won't go into it on the show, but something came my way that I was completely not anticipating and everything about it was so easy and frictionless. And I can sense that it's breadcrumbs leading to whatever's next. Mm -hmm. I don't know it. I can't see it yet. And I'm in a great space of being okay, not knowing. Um, Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't have found that if I had been too in my head or too much with my head down, you know, toiling and and fiercely working without being open. And I think you really exemplify that openness too, because you're, your areas of expertise and the things that you have your hands in are so broad and so varied, and yet you do them with excellence. You know, doesn't that really come in part from openness and surrender both? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's like this permission to try things out and them not uh, maybe working. Like, I appreciate that you see things as excellence. I can tell you... Um, with my book and with my music or with my businesses, I always have goals around them that, but the goals are always focused on what I can control. They're never goals around what's going to happen. And what mm-hmm. a test to being able to experiment by putting out your creativity, right? right. Business is creativity. Um, your job is creativity. For me, a new channel of creativity was writing and, and producing music. And I have no idea how those are going to hit. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> you know? control it. Like you said, people may love it or hate it, and you have no control over that. Right, totally. And, uh, and what's, what's cool is in this digital world now, we, we get a lot of data and feedback as to how it's working. You know, I, my music, for example, I really had no idea what I was, how, how that would spread, what I was doing with it. You know, I, I really felt compelled in my DJ background. I know I've got a good ear but I didn't know whether like the beats that I could make or the lyrics that I could write would, would vibe. And uh, just, just the other week I had a stat that came in through all the data that I have that said that someone had shazammed one of my songs in Belgium. Oh, that's badass. And I was like, that is so badass. I was like, what? Thank you. I was like, what? First of all, that means, that means somebody was playing my music out loud in Belgium. And then somebody heard it and was like, yo, what is that? I need to shazam it. That's so amazing. Can I just celebrate you for a second? Especially (laughs) since I got to see you in the space of that book launch and I got to hear your music Mm -hmm. for the first time in that setting. Yeah. Watching you listen to it with your wife and your kids there and you were surrounded Mm. by your closest peeps and 
um, man, just what, how victorious and just, I, I'm so happy for you. And there's a, I'm sure there was so much fear and trepidation and all this. And then you just at the same time gave yourself permission to try it. And as you said, experiment and what an amazing thing has come from it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, you saw something that I'd never, ever imagined that would happen. Um, when, when we aired the single that dropped that day, it was the final single and the whole album aired. And it was a song that I wrote. Um, it's called union and union means is the literal translation of the word yoga. Yoga means union. Um, and it was about bringing people together, helping others. And I did a little flex on there, wrote some parts, the, the bridge and the hook in Spanish, um, have some a beautiful mm. Cuban singer on there, rapper, et cetera. And so I, I dropped the song for everybody to hear in, in the music video, the lyric video, the video and oh just, just seeing everyone's reaction. Like I, you saw me, like I, I was completely emotional. Like I had no idea that was coming. No idea. Um, and for, for those listening, like basically, uh, I mean, I, I full on teared up just watching people watch and listen to the music. And that's when I, you know, that's one of those moments where I, I knew I didn't have, I didn't actually feel fear because I've done a lot of inner work to not feel that kind of thing for creativity being put out. But I didn't realize the power of what it would make me feel after like having other people experiencing it. Like that's what that's what blew me away. I, I just saw people and you know, just like experiencing the music. It wasn't like uh wasn't like uh people were, you know, going crazy during the song. They were watching a lyric video and listening to music. But like that experience was so powerful for me because this was something that channeled through me and is now channeling into other people. And here we are all experiencing this art form. Uh, like that was just a beautiful moment that I'll have forever. Whether Mm. this spread or not spread was out of my control as, as it is for many creatives. Um, But I knew I'll always have that moment where it touched me to see how other people were experiencing something that came out, you know, as through me, but like I said, it's, I'm just the vehicle. Like this was the universal message. I just was the right delivery boy. Boy, Did (laughs) you ever deliver? Oh, did you ever deliver? Yeah. From your (laughs) roots as a paper boy, literally. Um, I'm definitely going to have links to all of your stuff, the book, the, the, the uh, album, everything, but is there a place that people can go to watch that video? Is that on one of your websites? Um, yeah, the lyric videos are all on YouTube. Um, so if you just look up, uh, any of the song names, or if you look up, um, probably under Andy Seth, uh, okay. you can find find that, or A-Love, A-L-U-V. You'll find all the lyric videos. And if you go to andyseth.com, like, that's a really good central hub for everything. So, Andy, as we wrap up, like, what's on your nightstand right now? What are you reading? What's totally moving you? What's got you thinking? Mm. What do you want to share with people that's just really got you fired up? Yeah, um, I'm spending a lot of time on this concept of quantum learning and basically looking at what are the things that I could learn about myself that would make quantum leaps in terms of progress and realizing this potential. And one of the things that's hit me really hard is a book called The Leadership Gap by Lolly Daskal. Have you by any chance read that? I have not. Or come across it? No. Um, I- I'm a big fan of this TV show called Billions. And uh, one of our mutual friends, Megan, told me, oh, you know, that's based on a real person. 
named Lolly Daskal. And I was like, what? There's, or one of the characters um, in that show was based on Lolly Daskal, the uh, performance psychologist that's on staff of this billion dollar company. Okay. And I was like, wait, she's a real person. So I went and Google her, sure enough. And she's written a book, sure enough, buy the book. Oh my gosh. It's basically Jungian archetypes. If you looked back at like Carl Jung when he created the archetypes of people, it's taking Jungian archetypes and modernizing it for alpha people, specifically for alpha. It's like this high performing uh, person. Here's these 12 different archetypes of high performers and their shadow self. And oh, wow. the shadow self is what's revealing. The shadow, I, I'm not so interested in, and it's good information, only to self-identify when you look at here's all the good things. It's like, yay, that's nice, but I needed to find which of these resonates with me. But And then when I've picked the archetype, okay, this is the one that I seem to be most like or these combination of these two. What's the shadow self and how does that appear? And what's fascinated me is how much of those things have appeared and I've, I've looked at them and said, well, I, that's clearly my ego, but there's some things where I didn't even realize. I was like, oh my gosh, oh. that's, I didn't know that I was doing that. And I'll give you a quick example. Yes, please do. Uh, one of them is known as explorer exploiter. So an explorer has like the ability to kind of come up with a bunch of things, vision, be creative, et cetera, et cetera, all those, all those things can explore really well. But when people's, when, when people uh, do something that would break my trust, I go into exploit mode and exploit mode means I'm really intuitive. I'm really good with people. But when somebody breaks my trust, I start diving really deep into details and being like, well, did you do this? Did you do this? How about this? What about this? Like I dive really deep. And in business, I, I've watched myself do that over and over. I have, I can fly at the visionary level and, and, you know, let people have trust. But the minute they break my trust, I dive right into every last iota of detail and I don't need to do that. That's not actually the best tool. And so she oh. offers up, here's better ways to do, to deal with your shadow self. So great book. Right on. Okay. The leadership gap. And I bet that pairs nicely with other, you know, like Enneagram type work too, sort of taking mm -hmm. that stuff all in, in conjunction with one another. Wow. Yeah. Great share. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how big is the team that you lead now at Flow and among all of your various organizations? We're 14 full-time employees. Um, at Flow, uh, and then we have a number of contractors that work with us um, because we have like a whole writing staff that we source specifically for clients. So they're not on staff; they're they're contract writers. Sure. Um, so there's for so small a small company relatively, but uh, for me, as most I think most entrepreneurs will agree. Uh, the smaller the size with the larger profit per head, the better. <laughs> uh, yes, that is the objective. <laughs> the objective. And so, you probably have a handful of apprentices working for you there at all times as well, I assume. That's right. Yeah, we have two graduating this, uh, this fall. Um, they'll both be making $40,000 uh, plus. Amazing. And neither of them, um, both of them are low-income youth. They're 18 to 24 years old, and neither of them was in college or working when we found them. Amazing. And so what is the Flow organization website? Uh, feelmeflow.com. Okay. Okay. Which, so let, me test your, let me test your hip hop real quick. Oh boy. Can you recognize the song name? Feel Me Flow? Yeah. Dang it. I can't. No. Naughty by nature. Oh God. I should have known that one. <laughs> oh, geez, I'm totally fired as your friend now. <laughs> oh. Shame on I love your reaction. <laughs> oh. I feel like yeah, I'm, tired. I'm tiring myself for not knowing. Oh man, I love Naughty by Nature. <laughs> They're uh, so good. 
Oh, Andy, thank you so much for your time and your inspiration and your energy. Oh. I just knew this was going to be so insightful and it, it blew my expectations away. So thank yeah, you. I know. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And for everybody listening, um, please, like, if you want to reach out, let me give you, is it okay if I just Dude. give them a quick yes, text please. number? Yes. Um, let me give you a text number and, and, uh, it's six, four, six, hold on, let me find this thing. Six, four, six, four, nine, five, nine, eight, six, seven. And just type the word, feel me flow, uh, three words, feel me flow. Uh, if you text that to me, the first three people that text me, um, I'll personally autograph and put in the mail, a copy of my book to you. So six, four, six, four, nine, five, nine, eight, six, seven. And just text feel me flow uh and i'll send it out to you i love it thank you for offering that up and um your book also references a facebook group that is a group that you're kind of growing and nurturing around the principles in the book and the meditation so if people read your book that's another way to get more involved with you right perfect yep cool thanks andy thanks for making the world a better place uh thank you appreciate you have a good night you too bye Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.